Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Don't Tell Me The Score, the podcast that uses sport to explore life's bigger questions. My name is Simon Mundy, and each week I sit down with an expert from the biggest sporting names in the world to Buddhist monks, neuroscientists, psychologists, and philosophers. We discuss a theme that tells us something insightful and important about life and how best to live it, from the importance of self-acceptance to facing addiction and developing resilience, right through to getting your circadian rhythms in sync and how to sleep better. Sport is a metaphor for life, and in this podcast, I aim to prove that right. I always like hearing from you, so the best way to get in touch is via my website, simonmundy.com, or I'm at Simon Mundy on social media. In this episode, I'm talking to one of Britain's greatest ever Olympians, the cyclist Sir Chris Hoy, about confidence. Hello, how are you? How are you? I'm good, you? I'm very well, thank you. Yes, doing well. Listen, I've got to admit, Chris, I'm super, super excited to speak to you because, well, for many reasons... But one of the main ones was I was fortunate enough to be the sports reporter for Radio 1 at 2012, London 2012. So for the full two and a half weeks, I was in the uh, Olympic Park, which was, you know, two and a half weeks of the high point of British history, I would say. And, you know, I was sort of going around all the different events and I'd never been in a velodrome before that. And I can honestly say, hand on heart, the velodrome was without doubt for me covering it the highlights of the games in terms of atmosphere but when you won the Kirin which was obviously the the sixth gold medal of your Olympic career I was sat just on the finishing line and I have a video on my phone because it was the second last corner wasn't it there was a guy coming around and just overtaking you 
And I remember on my phone being like, no, 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 no. (laughs) And then as you came down, I was like, yes. And honestly, like it was like I put my fingers in an electric socket, the the buzz up the back of my neck. And it took me about four hours to come down after that. But I've never experienced an atmosphere like that in in all my time of watching sport. And I've watched a lot. Well, listen, you have to send me a video, that video that you've got on your phone. I'd love to see it. You know, it's not like I've not seen the race since then. But um, yeah, it's just, it's hard to explain to people what, what a velodrome is like when it's fully packed out to capacity when, you know, when there's a really big race on, when the, the, the home crowd have got something to cheer for. It, it, there's nothing else like it. And I've been to big venues, you know, you can go to venues that have got 10 times or 20 times the, the number of people, but there's something about the way the roof is, the way that the, the sound bounces back off the, the velodrome itself, the track itself. Yeah, it's a special venue. And London was, you know, in, in all the years I raced, I've never experienced a noise like that, that Kieran final. Yeah, I mean, it really was unbelievable. I remember saying before that event, I'd been such a busy f- couple of weeks that I said, you know, after this, I'm going to go home and have an early night. But such was the adrenaline cursing through me. I had to head to the bar and, and you know, I was just, <laughs> I was wired for hours afterwards. So it really well, was uh, incredibly special. Um, yeah, well, it was kind listen, of special you, for me too, so, you know. Yeah, I bet it was. I bet it was. <laughs> so, listen, you've written Be Amazing. You know, in a nutshell, it's your roadmap, I would say, to going on to try and reach your potential. Is that fair? Yes, yeah, I would say so. It's a guide. It's a, I guess I wrote it because I wanted to try and encourage kids to, to first of all, believe in themselves, believe that they can, if they want to, they can achieve anything. Um, but to find their passion, you know, once you find your passion, once you have something that you really enjoy, that you love doing, it's so much easier to work hard at that. You know, you put more into it um, and then you can achieve more from it. But it's definitely, it's not a guide to, it's not a guide to becoming an Olympic champion or, you know, anything like that at all. It's not even necessarily about sport. It's about whatever the reader wants it to be about. So yeah, first of all, encouraging them to find their passion, then aim high um, you know, don't limit your beliefs of what you can achieve. Because in my in my lifetime, you know, I I never never believed that I would become Olympic champion. You know, I, you know, your heroes are they're cut from a different cloth to the rest of us, um, and I just assumed that well, there's no way I could do that. But the more you see in life, the more you realise that actually, yeah, we're all just normal people who you know the people who have done big things in their lives. It's because they've dedicated their life to that to that passion and that dream, and they've worked incredibly hard at it. I like what you said about it not just being about sport. This podcast tries to be like that as well. It, it's really just taking the lessons from sport and applying them to life. And that really came through. And you gave loads of examples, whether it be Beyonce, Ed Sheeran, all sorts of people who have applied that same mindset, the same approach, the outlook, the hard work. So it, it's a universal thing, isn't it? This kind of approach, this formula. It is. And I, I just feel having been around many schools and done talks to, to kids of all ages, um, you know, you often I would ask, so what, what do you want to be when you grow up? What's your, you know, what, what kind of things are you into? And the hands would go up and you'd ask, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd get um, your responses. And so many times, not all the time, but often I've had people put their hands up, kids put their hand up and say, I want to be famous. And you say, well, that's great. Well, what do you want to be famous for? And they just kind of shrug their shoulders and say, well, I don't really care as long as, you know, I want to be famous. That's, that is the end goal. And you suddenly think, God, dear, you know, they're, it's not their fault. They've been fed this, this kind of um, diet of, you know, Britain's got talent, you know, X factor, things like that, that, that it's about social overnight media, success, yeah. social media. It's, 
instant success. It, you know, it's, it's a talent. It's not about work. It's not about graft. It's something that you just have or you don't have. Um, and it, it happens overnight. And, you know, it, even people on, you know, these, these talent shows that open their mouths and it looks as if they've just discovered they can sing. They've been singing for years. They've had to work incredibly hard to get to that level. And it, it, it's, I guess it's kind of debunking that myth and saying, look, come on, it doesn't matter what you do. You have to work hard at it. There's no guarantees. Um, you know, you, just because you work incredibly hard for 10 years or 15 years, you won't necessarily win the Olympic gold medal or achieve what you want to achieve. But if you don't try, you'll never know. You know, you guarantee you won't do that if you don't try it. Um, And the key thing to all of this is enjoyment. So it's not about the end goal. It's not about the destination. That is your target. That's what you're working towards. But the whole point of it is enjoying the process of what you do. You have to have fun. You have to love doing what you do. And if you do that, you know, the end goal is is almost incidental. It's it's amazing if you achieve it, um, but it's not the most important thing. Yeah, and it's a myth, isn't it, that that fame brings happiness and satisfaction. It is about the journey, and you detail a lot of the the little things that you've remember remember along your way. And as well, there's no guarantee. Like your granny said to you when you were wee, it's not all about winning. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I, you know, the biggest thing that brought brought it home to me was I think looking at people who had one and people who I assumed you know, would be the happiest people on earth because they had an Olympic gold medal or a world championship or whatever it was. And the more I got to meet and know these people and become friends with them and realizing, actually, do you know what? They're, they're, they're not that happy. Um, you know, Graham O'Brien, my hero, Graham O'Brien, Scottish cyclist. He was world champion in the mid-1990s, an amazing man. They made a film about his life called The Flying Scotsman, um, designed his own bikes, built them with his own two hands, welded bits of scrap metal together, got, you know, bearings from an old washing machine for the bottom bracket. I mean, an unbelievable story. Um, won the world title. So without any outside support or assistance, didn't have any sponsors, didn't have a national team support behind him. And he won the world title. Um, they then banned the position that he'd ridden in because they thought it looked a bit strange. He then came back with an entirely different riding position that he'd thought up without any scientists or wind tunnel testing or anything. And then... Um, you know, and then they banned that again. But he, he was the, the most incredible character. And he had everything that I ever wanted, you know, he, to be world champion. That was my, my dream. And I met him. I was very lucky. My, very, my, my first world championships was his last world championships racing for GB. And we shared a room. And it was out in Australia and Perth. And every night I would be asking him, you know, tell me this story. You know, tell me about that and what happened here and there. And he would he'd sit up till two a.m. talking, you know, telling us these amazing stories um, of all these things that he'd done and and experienced. And I just thought, you know, here's somebody who should have been the happiest man in the world because he had everything that I dreamed of. And it turned out he wasn't happy. He'd struggled with mental health issues his whole life, um, and and it was almost you know a realization that having that end goal, having the the gold medal in your hand, that is not about that's not what makes you happy. It's the process of doing what you enjoy. That, that will make you happy. If you if you love doing what you do, um, it, it just makes every day that bit easier. And it's not saying that every single day will be amazing, that you'll bounce out of bed feeling great every day, because I certainly didn't with my cycling. You know, there were times where you get out of bed and your body's aching, and the last thing you want to do is get back on a velodrome or back in the gym. But on the whole, you love the whole process of what you do. And, and if, you, if you can find something you're passionate about, if you can find something you enjoy, you will do. You'll do better at it, but you'll also enjoy it along the way. 
Yeah, there's this idea, isn't there, that happiness is in the future when you reach a goal, when you win a competition, when you get a job, when you even find the perfect relationship, whatever it may be, then you will be happy. But the amount of people I've spoken to and people like Johnny Wilkinson spring to mind after he won the World Cup, realize that that, that isn't the case. So it, you know, you, if you're not happy now, why are you going to be happy in a future now? You know, it is about, like you say, enjoying the journey and, and you certainly bear that out. So in terms of how you broke it down in, in terms of this this roadmap to trying to fulfill your own potential and enjoy it along the way, and, and that enjoyment is, is key, and that's the, the final point. But to start things off, you obviously talk about dreaming big. And um, what I found fascinating was how I think you were at school or you were with training and everyone was asked to come out with a dream. And various people came out with various things that, that weren't really aiming, you know, for that old cliche, really aiming for the stars. But you actually say that you wrote down that your dream was to win the 2004 Olympics 1000 meter time trial. I mean, to what degree does it spook you that you went on to actually do that? <laughs> yeah, um, it is quite, quite bizarre, really, when you think back. It was at a, cycle, a local cycling club. Um, and it was the junior section of the club. There was maybe about a dozen of us in the in this in this team in this club, and it was just run by. Um, it was a voluntary club. It was Ray Harris and Doreen Harris that ran it. Um, none of us were particularly great cyclists in the room, and it was it was Ray just trying to encourage us to to think a little bit about goal setting and about planning and about plan plotting out your 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 season ahead and how to get the best from yourself. Um, but it sounds a lot grander than it really was. It was just, you know, a few kids in a room, um, you know, enjoying riding their bikes, but trying to get the best from that. And so Ray said to us, look, write down, I want you to write down your short-term goal for this year, your medium-term goal for the next four years in cycling, and then your your ultimate goal, your dream of what you'd like to achieve. And so, yeah, I wrote down, you know, everybody else was writing down things like to represent Scotland at the Commonwealth Games or maybe to, to ride in the Tour de France or... or you know, win, win a medal even at the Olympic Games, but nobody wrote down that they wanted to be an Olympic champion. And that's that's what I did. And I wasn't even the best rider in the room, let alone the best in, in, in Edinburgh or Scotland or GB at that time. But Ray took me seriously and he said, well, if that is if that really is your goal and you really do want to, or your dream, and you really do want to achieve it, you've got to map out a little plan, a route to success from, from where you are now to where you want to get to. And if you do that, and if you have stepping stones short-term targets to aim for you don't have to worry about how far off that end goal you are right now because it can be really daunting when you think well I'm so far off it you know it's really demoralizing I'm not you know I'm nowhere near that level yet you know it's never going to happen I may as well give up but if you have a really short-term target even a daily target of what you want to get from that training session or or whatever it is you're doing then you don't have to worry about that that end goal it's not you know it's like climbing a mountain you don't keep looking at the summit you just look at one foot in front of the next, in front of the next, and you you just keep doing it. Incredible, though, that you did win it then in two thousand and four, and I'm sure you <laughs> must have you must have looked back and thought, "Crikey, that's that's quite something." You know, I'm fortunate enough to like Wimbledon was always my thing, and uh, Boris Becker was my hero, and I get to interview him at Wimbledon was part of the TV coverage there, and I always think back, goodness, my ten year old self wouldn't believe it. And, you know, would be in ecstasy at the thought that I'm now doing this. But you've taken that to, to a whole new level. So do you, just quickly, I mean, do, do you look back and reflect on, on the fact that you did manage to absolutely achieve that, that dream that you set out to do and, and quite how astounding and almost magical that is? 
Well, it, it is. It is. And it's, that's why I'm so passionate about, you know, chatting to kids or young people about the fact that if, look, if I can do it, I mean, there's nothing special about me, but if I can do it, anyone can achieve their, their dream. And it's, you know, I think it's such a, people kind of go, yeah, 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 whatever. Um, and they, there's always an excuse why you can't do it or always a reason why you can't do it or why you won't do it. But, but I guess I, my point is, well, why not? You know, what, what, what makes me special? Nothing. Nothing may be special. I had a lot of, you know, amazing people I met along the way who helped me and assisted me and I learned from and inspired me. But in, in reality, the more I looked around my teammates and, and you meet people in different walks of life and in different industries, you know, singers, dancers, TV people, um, you know, scientists, doesn't matter what people are into. I believe that, that we're all just ordinary, normal people who have found something that we love doing and we've, we've pursued it. We've kept going. We haven't given up on it. And it's, there's also the, this sort of thing that you see the end product, you see the, the performance at the end, or you see the, the you know, the, the finished product and it's polished and it's, it looks, it looks easy. You see the person doing it. You watch Usain Bolt running the hundred meters. It looks effortless. And you think, well, you know, people just think he's just born to run. He's just a, a different breed to everybody else. And he's an amazing sprinter. He still had to train unbelievably hard. He still had to get up in the morning. He still had to go to the gym. He still had to go to the track. He still had to deal with injuries you know, he, he's a normal person who was able to run 9.5 seconds or whatever for the 100 metres, but he still had to put the work in. And at the heart of it, if, if we all, you know, if we, if we limit our beliefs, if we say, well, I can't do that, you'll never do it. But why, why not aim high? Why not aim for, shoot for the stars? You know, as you say, and if you, if you hit the moon, then so be it. You've still done an amazing thing. It's not, it, it's not about the end goal. It, it's about the process and, and seeing how far you can go. And, and often you, you have your dream, you have your target, and life will take you on a slightly different journey, and you might end up actually doing something you enjoy way more, having much more, much more positive experience from that. So, uh, but I believe if you have a positive attitude, if you approach things in the right way, you're giving yourself the best chance of getting getting the most out of whatever it is you're you're trying to do. Very true. And obviously, you started out, you know, doing BMX before you headed into the velodrome. So your path took a a slightly different turn. You know, I know, obviously, with the BMX, you know, having been inspired by ET, who wasn't inspired by that film? And you know, you you talk about you know nothing special about you. Not entirely true. I've seen your thighs in the lycra. They are very very. They were quite something. But it really is like you're saying. You know, jokes aside, it is about those soft skills that anyone can develop, isn't it? So you talk about turning a dream into reality so that that positive attitude but for example it's your attitude to things like feedback to advice to other people's success to losing and you talk about this lovely line you know it's always me v me it's not you v someone else because everyone develops at different rates and then there's a couple of little anecdotes that stuck out for me the bmx semi-final you lost when you were 10 when you learned a valuable lesson about taking responsibility but then as well not knowing how things will pan out so when they decided after you'd won gold in in 2004 to actually scrap the 1000 meter time trial and obviously you were gutted because and angry and frustrated all these emotions because that meant you couldn't defend your gold medal four years later in beijing in 2008 but actually it ended up being a blessing in disguise because that enabled you to go on and, and win three golds because you had to adapt so how you chose to react to what on the face of it was a really, really tough, hard thing for you to be able to deal with. Yeah, and exactly. The, the, you know, life will throw curveballs all the time. You're going to have things that happen that are out with your control that you you simply you, you cannot change. 
So you have two choices. You can either moan about it, complain about it, kind of wave the white flag and just take it. Or you can say, well, what, what can I do? What, what are my options here? Um, and then, you know, and try and be as positive as possible. And it doesn't always end up in a, in a positive outcome, but that, you know, the example of my, the, the, um, the kilo being dropped from the Olympic program in 2005 is the biggest one for me that I would never have chosen to change events. I would never have tried to make that transition at that stage in my career, but I was forced into it. And I thought, well, what's the, what's the best thing I can do in this situation? I can either retire. I'm 29 years of age. You know, I've won one gold medal at the Olympic games. I've been world champion once, you know, it's, that'd be a great career. I'd be delighted with that. But I wasn't ready to retire. I thought, you know what? I've still got another games or possibly two more games in me. There's a chance of making it to London for the 2012 games. How amazing would that be? Well, you know, let's give it a go. It, it, you know, it might not happen, but, but if you're positive and if you take it on and do everything you can within your powers to be the best you can be, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You shake the other person's hand that beats you or you, you accept the, the situation but you know why not go for it? Um, and I guess that's I've been very lucky to have positive people around me that have given me this this support through my life. And I think the, the foundation of it all comes from my family. To have you know parents, um, grandparents, my sister, the, the family around me who I guess have always been there. It's not been about the end result. They didn't. It's not like you know you were racing for somebody else. It was you always felt as if they were there to support you, win or lose. They would cheer you on. They would commiserate with you if you lost. They would celebrate with you if you won. But it was never, I don't know, I always, I always felt there was this unconditional love and support mm. as my foundation. And then you don't feel that you have the fear of failure that, that some people have, the fear, feeling of for their own self-worth, they have to win or they have to be successful just to, to, to kind of justify their existence. Um, and I, I was very lucky to have that support in my, or still have that support in my life. Um, yeah. So, it, yeah, it's, it's you know, you, you still need to, you can't do it all on your own. You need to have people around you. And there's a bit in the book talking about that, about building your troop around you, the people that you care about, people that will support you. Um, but yeah, it's, I guess it's recognizing what you have control over. What can you do to directly affect the situation? And what can you not, you know, what can you not do? Well, don't worry about that. Don't focus on that. Don't dwell on that. Focus on the things that you can change. That unconditional love and support from your family, I think is, is really obvious. And, and actually I've spoken to a few people without naming names who perhaps have had parents who it has been almost living the dream for them. And that's left a bit of a difficult mark for them and, you know, in their life. So having that unconditional love and support really does lay the base for people to be able to go out and be their best self and reacting to that kilometer time trial being scrapped, whatever it may be, people who let circumstances dictate, it, it can be easy to be cynical. And obviously you have that sort of visceral emotional reaction in the moment but then you do get to to choose your response and I just think it's such a good example that in choosing to think okay so what do I have to do now okay I've got to learn these new events and it actually enabled you to go on and be even more successful so not writing something off as oh this is definitively bad and obviously now with what we're going through with COVID and then people are reassessing their lives losing jobs or whatever and on the face of it of course these are really traumatic tough times but by adopting that approach, you're giving yourself the best chance to, to perhaps even create a brighter future going forward, which leads actually into my next point that you wrote about under the heading, go for it. Something that really super impressed me was your knack and your willingness to go out seeking opportunities and getting down and writing letters every evening and getting lots of rejections in terms of trying to get sponsorship to enable you to carry on doing what you, were, what you wanted to do and what you loved. 
But eventually, finding the uh, CEO of QuickFit, a man who had even been in adverts, as you say. I mean, just this is remarkable. So just talk me a little bit through this process and what people can learn from this. Obviously, children and everyone reading the book, but also anyone in the situation we're going through now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Yeah, well, I guess we all start from different places. We all have, you know, varying degrees of head starts or, or the opposite in life. And, you know, I was very lucky to have a great stable home life and I had you know, I, I felt like I, I did have a, a, a head start in, in all of this. But at the same time, it came to a point in my, my BMX um, career, if you can call it a career, my, my time racing BMXs as a kid, that it was costing a lot of money. You know, I had to, be able to drive from Edinburgh down to usually the sort of Midlands or even the south of England each weekend. Petrol money, staying in bed and breakfast, paying for entry fees, um, you know, even the bikes, the bits of kit. It, it wasn't cheap. Um, so... You know, my parents were both working really hard, but it was it got to a stage where we're going to have to get some sort of additional financial support here. Otherwise, you know, you can't keep doing it every weekend. So we sat down and thought, well, how can we how can we fix this? So I started writing letters every every night after school. I'd write two or three letters because it was all handwritten in those days. It wasn't you know on computers. And so yeah, before emails, um, I was writing to all sorts of people and just multiple rejections coming back dear chris thanks very much you know fantastic to hear you're enjoying your bmx but um sadly you know we can't help out in this situation but maybe in the future but good luck i hope it goes well all very nice but not you know not changing um the situation and then eventually i got this one letter back from tom farmer so tom farmer um who was the ceo of QuickFit, and he said well you know do you want to come in and we'll have a little chat and i thought well this is you know that's not a no <laughs> um and I went in with my dad and uh, we sat down, got to go into his big office <clears throat> in Murrayfield in, in Edinburgh. And um, and he said, so, you know, what what can I do for you? And my dad said, well, the thing is, Chris is, you know, he's trying to get to the World Championships for BMX. And he said, whoa, 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 you know, I want to hear the lad speak to me. You know, what? what? And he said, turned to me and said, you know, what, 
what is it you want, you know, what is it I can do to help you? And I said, well, you know, and I, and I told him about how much I enjoyed riding my bike and how, what I'd done so far and what I was hoping to do. Um, and, you know, that we needed money for petrol and for this and that. And he sort of, he said, well, you know, I think we can help you, um, you know, and, and um, said, we'll be in touch. And, and I remember walking out thinking that that was unbelievable. First of all, sitting there in front of this guy who had been on TV adverts, who was, you know, a bit of a, a I wouldn't even say a local celebrity, a celebrity in Scotland, certainly. Um, and um, here he was sitting, giving us the time. And and I've seen him many times since then. I saw him about a year ago um, at, there was an Edinburgh award being given to Donnie Weir, the, the rugby player, famous Scottish internationalist, um, and Tom was there and I got to see him and it was just so, it was so nice because I'm sure, you know, he was, he's the kind of guy who supported the communities. He was, he was it wasn't just me, he was helping out, he was giving money and, and support to countless other people. Um, and he was never doing it with the view that it was going to, you know, come back and share him with praise in the future. It was just because he thought, well, I've, I'm in this fortunate position, I can help people. And yeah, you know, it just shows you if you, if you can give somebody a little foot up, a little help in any way, um, you never know where it's going to lead to. Capped off to Sir Tom. I mean, he's made yeah. some good decisions in his time, not least, obviously, his that, that wonderful slogan. What was it? Quick fit fitters. But I mean, he, fitter. <laughs> <laughs> he must be pleased that he, he he backed the right horse in that one. I mean, it shows, doesn't it, that, you know, you do a, a kind gesture like that. Who knows how it will uh, end up paying off. Uh, but, you know, the, the rejections you got before you got Sir Tom you know, giving you the green light and inviting you to come in and speak. They still stung, I imagine, along the way. I, I, I don't think they stung. I think I just thought, oh, you know, it was it was, it was, was a matter of, well, don't expect, it's not going to happen overnight, you know. So you didn't let learned, it discourage you? No, I will. I'm not going to lie to you and say that I was delighted when you get another one saying, sorry, we can't help. But it was, you know, I thought, well, I, I didn't expect this to be a short process. I didn't expect to be first letter you write, you're going to get, uh, you know, a check through the post. It was a matter of saying, well, just keep keep going, keep going. Eventually, the law of averages, hopefully somebody is going to be able to give you something or, you know, help you in some way. Um, and But it certainly, I didn't expect, you know, to, to get the kind of backing we did from, from, from Sir Tom. And it was, yeah, it was, it was a game changer because it allowed me to compete that whole season. Um, I got to do the World Championships. I think that was in 1986 in Slough. I did the World Championships there. Um, and I came tenth, which was way beyond what I expected. Um, you know, at that time, age ten, and it was yeah, it, it was it was an important part in my in my life, really. I suppose so. Yeah, huge, a huge thank you to Tom for that. I mean, that just shows the importance of persistence and and keep knocking on doors. And as I said, that can be applied to to not not just kids growing up, but everyone in in this current environment, perhaps looking to start out in a new way. You know, you're not going to necessarily get it immediately, but like you say, law of averages, keep knocking, keep knocking, and eventually something's bound to to pay off. Now, you talk as well about embracing failure and mm. and essentially not being scared. And I know you're obviously really passionate about sort of mental health and 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 fear of failure is, is something that can really hold people back and. It's incredible the story that you told about about Jason Queeley, who was re- really in some ways started the, the the gold rush that came with British cycling um, after 2000, and he he won in Sydney in 2000. And I'm interested as well to what degree he really did inspire you, because you allude to that in your book. But you know, you said that he'd been scared, he'd had this fear of failure, 
that was holding him back, that was stopping him from doing the extra, from from really pushing himself. And then there was this turning point when he understood what that fear of failure was costing him about perhaps what he could achieve. And so what was that thing that enabled him to understand that there was this fear of failure and to and to shed it? And to what degree did his win allow you then to change what you believed was possible? Yeah, I mean, he was he was a very... Um, successful sports person. He was in the I think England University's water polo team. He was a very strong swimmer. He was, you know, I guess had huge potential in a number of different sports um, with with the kind of the physique he had. And and but the trouble was he enjoyed being a big fish in a small pond. He enjoyed sort of pretending that he didn't care about it and he would just turn up and, and be be good but not great. And then he got to, I think he got to a certain stage in his life. I think he was just maturing. Like he got to his mid-twenties. Um, he'd met his, his now wife, um, Vicky. And I think she must have helped him a lot as well to realise, do you know what? It, it's Why not go for it? You know, you, if, it, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Why not just give it a go? Have a crack at it. And initially it started out, he was going to do triathlon because he was a good, you know, strong swimmer. Um, and he was, he was cycling to and from his work each day. I think he was about a 12-mile cycle each way. He joined a local cycling club and he, he had a little tryout with, with them. And they were like, wow, you're, you're really quite good at this. Um, and then he turned up, he did a bit of training on the track, on the velodrome. And then he came second at the national championships in his first year. And it was a, a huge breakthrough for him. Um, and then, yeah, he just, I, I guess it was the first time in his life. And he admitted to me, he said, it's the first time that he, he, he actually properly went for it and didn't make excuses and, and said, you know what, if it doesn't work out, then so be it. But at least I'll have given it a proper go. Instead of wondering what might have been, he thought, I'm going to throw myself at this. And and it wasn't a simple, straightforward um, process for him. The year after he started racing, um, we were both in a race together and, and we both crashed at the same time. And a, an 18-inch piece of, of wood, a splinter from the track, went into his back um, and sort of popped out the other side. And he was in intensive care for a week. And they had, I think it was, I think it was about 27 or 57, I can't remember how many, multiple stitches across his back um, to lift this thing out. He was in a right old state. Um, and he, he basically changed the course of his cycling career because he didn't want to then race in a bunch of races again where there was physical contact with other racers. He decided to go for the time trial, the 1,000-meter time trial, um, as his main focus. And four years later, he won the, the gold medal in Sydney. He won the first, it was the real turning point, I think, for British cycling. It was a year after or two years after the funding from the National Lottery had started coming in, we started to have better facilities, better coaching, better equipment. And Jason represented the, and he was he was really the, the kind of catalyst for all the success that came after. And for me personally, to see with my own two eyes, the person who in my in my, in my mind, you know, was in vertical, was just, was just Jason. He's just a normal guy. And there he is on the podium with a gold medal from the Olympic Games around his neck. Suddenly you realize, well, you know, he's a normal person maybe I could get close to that maybe I could do something similar and then to have the Olympic champion in your in your team to train with every day to have that benchmark to aim for to learn from and and Jason became almost a mentor for me even though he knew that I would potentially become a rival um, in the years to come he still helped me all the way and two years later at the Commonwealth Games we raced head-to-head he was racing for England I was racing for Scotland and he still supported me and helped me in and I ended up beating him by about a tenth of a second and winning the gold medal. And he was the first guy to come over and congratulate me and give me a hug. And, you know, the measure of the man, I remember thinking at that moment, if I'm ever in the same situation, when, 
you know, a younger writer is coming through the, the ranks, I really hope I can be as gracious and be as um, just helpful um, as he was with me. So yeah, Jason played a huge part in my career um, in general. And um, yeah, he's, he's an amazing person. What a class act. And, and it shows the power of kindness, actually, doesn't it? In terms of the ripple effect it can have in making you want to pay it forward and really being there to, to lift each other up. So just quickly to summarise then, do you actually think it changed what you believed was possible? And did that then impact how you were able to perform? Absolutely. There's, there's no question. I'm a big believer that if you can see it, you can do it. You know, if you have... If you see it being performed right in front of you, then then it's it, it suddenly becomes possible. And up until that point, every champion in, in in my discipline in cycling, they were you know Australians or Germans or the French or whoever, and you only had secondhand information about what they were doing and how they were training. And and it, then you, you build up in your mind they become superhuman. They're they're you know they're superheroes, and and therefore they're different to you. And therefore you can't beat them. You can't emulate what they're doing, or you can't. You can't go faster than them. But here was Jason, ju- you know, just Jason on the podium with a gold medal. And and it, it was like a penny drop that I realized, wow, this this is possible. Um, you know, yeah. maybe so I can get close to this. So interesting. I always I always think back, as you know, um, I go and support Scotland in rugby with my father, who's, who's an Edinburgh boy, just like yourself. But I always think back to when England won the Rugby World Cup in 2003 and how that really, for me, changed the belief around what was possible for 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 british english national size and i sort of to some degree feel that that fertilized the ground for a lot of the success that followed because it just sort of changed that oh no we can win what you're saying there seems to sort of feed into that that kind of belief and breaking the glass ceiling and it obviously really happened to you and you really round it off beautifully and be amazing in terms of really hammering that point home about it's all about enjoying it, which relates back to what your granny said when you were wee. And what I thought was nice was you talking about confidence and admitting that, you know, you weren't always confident because I think like you've said about understanding that the people who perform heroic things, who win Olympic medals, who perform at Glastonbury, who fly planes, whatever it may be, they are just normal people, but they've consistent behavior and application and attitude and all these kind of things. But that doesn't mean that they're super confident and you admit that, you know, you weren't always that way. And I actually read an interview where you once compared your teenage years to an episode of the in-betweeners. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I, I think there is this notion that, that um, certainly sports people, when you see them lining up on the start line, they look so calm, they look so composed, confident that they know they're going to win. And that's, it's nonsense. A lot of the time it's bravado or it's not bravado. It's, it's a, it's a mask to try and, you know, not let your your rivals see that you're nervous or anxious. Um, but really, sports people, I think, are amongst the most insecure people I've ever met because you're you're constantly being judged on your performance. You're only as good as your last win or your last race. Um, and it's you know, it is a very insecure world, and and things can change at the last second. You can you know, you can be a champion, and then someone can beat your record or beat you, and and your status changes. So it's inherently quite a an unstable world to be in. Um, and I certainly wasn't necessarily confident. I didn't have the belief in myself. I wasn't a child that I thought, you know, this is my destiny and I'm I'm going to be a champion. It, for me, it was more about almost the opposite. Well, I'm never going to be a champion, but why not have the dream and see how far along the line I can go towards achieving it? You know, and, and if I can get to the Commonwealth Games to represent Scotland in 1998, that would be incredible. And if that's as far as I get, that's amazing. And I did that. 
and then I thought, well, well, why don't we just keep going? Well, you know, let's aim for the next. The next stepping stone is to get to the Olympics. I wonder if I could get in the British team, and I did that, and we got a silver medal there, kind of out of the blue. And then it's it's almost when you start each each point, each stepping stone, each each level you get up to. If that becomes your new baseline, and you think, well, just go a little bit further, just a little bit further. And if you have a plan, and if you have you have something to aim for, before you know it, you're you're way past what you you think is possible. Um, and then you you know it's it's only when you get to this sort of ripe old age that I'm now, and you can look back and think, God, dear, you know, how did this happen? Because you know, my ten year old self would never have dreamt. I mean, literally, this this is. This is ridiculous that I'm sitting here chatting about a career where I won six Olympic gold medals because that's the kind of thing that your heroes, you know, Steve Redgrave does. I mean, it's even the fact, you know, looking back, I, you know, I was I did a bit of rowing at school as well, and Steve Redgrave was a massive hero of mine, and and yeah, I got to row with him for a TV show about four or five years ago on the canal um, in Edinburgh where the, the rowing club used to row. And we were going up and down in a pair, two of us together. And I remember thinking it's it's been, I think it was 20 years since I'd last been up and down on that bit of stretch of water. And here I am in a pair's boat with Steve Redgrave. You know, if my, you know, when I left in, in 1994, whenever it was, if you told me I was going to come back 20 years later and do this, I'd have just laughed. But not only that, we've got 11 gold medals between us. You know, it, it's, it was just, yeah. it was one of these moments you sort of look back and pinch yourself and think, God, I how does this happen? Um, and, you know, I am very lucky. I've had so many things happen at just the right time. So many people, situations help me. Um, you know, you, nobody can claim credit for everything themselves. Absolutely not. But um, if you approach things with the right attitude, if you approach them um, with a plan, and if you if you do enjoy the process, then you, you will go way beyond what you ever think is possible. Yeah. Yeah. Do those things that you need to do, the things we've discussed, you know, attitude, application, and who knows where you'll end up, but you don't need mm. that that confidence in the first place. And just going back to, to, to Jason and that fear of failure, what do you think is the relationship between fear of failure and confidence? I, I guess it, it's like Steve Peters um, was our, our team psychologist and he he had a massive impact on my this latter half of my career um, and changed my outlook in life in general as well. And it really helped me to sort of going from being successful in cycling but but not that consistent to being a lot more consistent and i guess blocking out the things that were were getting in the way were were in, you know impeding my progress and one of them was the fear of failure um and he he really helped me say well you know the fear of failure or even thinking about success you know when you go into a race you must not think about what happens if i get this wrong you know you're in front of millions of people on tv all the thousands of people in the stadium they're expecting you to win. You know, you're lining up at the Olympic Games in London, 2012. It's the final race. Um, you've been the flag bearer. You know, everybody's expecting you to win. If you start thinking, "Oh God, what if I lose? What what what's it going to be like?" And you start visualizing that and thinking, "Oh, what am I going to say in the interviews? And how am I going to deal with it? And what excuses can I use?" And you know, if you start going down that route, it's it's it really does impair your progress. It impairs everything you can do. So he's like, "Well." You focus on the process. You focus on the process of what you do, not the outcome. You don't worry about whether it's going to be you know, a disaster or even the opposite. It can be almost as distracting as thinking about winning. You know, People say, focus on winning, focus on the gold medal. For me, that was, that was the absolute last thing I thought about. I didn't want to think about the gold medal or what it would be like to win it. I was trying to focus on the process of what I needed to do to be the best I could be to get the best result. And the end, the end result, it depends on... A whole host of things that are out with your control. 
you know, you don't know how fast your rivals are going to go. They could be absolutely flying. They could be better than you on that day. Or you could produce a substandard performance and still win because they're not going that well at that, 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 that point. So, you know, don't worry about what anyone else is doing. Don't worry about the end result, good or bad. Focus on yourself. Focus on your on your process of what you need to do. And I think it's the same at a younger age, even almost even more so at a younger age. You know, when you're in your, you know, your sort of 10 to 15, everybody's growing at different rates. You could, you know, if you keep measuring yourself against other people, you know, they could be physically bigger and stronger than you and, and it can be demoralizing. So as long as you're progressing, as long as you are doing the best you can you can possibly do and you're learning things, you're gaining new skills and techniques and you're you're progressing, that is brilliant. And, and you know, that, that is the biggest thing in the book. It's talking about, as you said before, comparing yourself to yourself. It's about me versus me. It's not about me versus other people. If you're enjoying the process, if you're having fun, if you're getting better and you're learning and you're getting something from it, that is that is the gold standard. And anything else that comes is the kind of cherry on top of the icing on top of the cake. And understanding, obviously, that people develop at different ages and at different speeds as well. And, and you talked about, I didn't realise you had a rugby career back in the day, but when you were a teenager, <laughs> and a teenager flirting with the A-team um, and, um, and would be you, know, you were a small lad um, for, for a long time and then obviously shot up. But it does show. But just to come back, though, to those being on the starting line, you know, and thinking, oh, what if this goes wrong? Or indeed, this has got to go right or focus on the winning. And I love that about really zooming down onto, onto the process because it, it can be tricky to sort of to stop those thoughts in the moment. And obviously, Steve, uh, don't tell me the score, alumni, one of my most popular episodes, recommend listening back to Steve Peters where he really talks about all this stuff in depth. But it just shows, doesn't it, without those thoughts, without those thoughts of, of failure or indeed success that is is those thoughts that create the pressure in the moment mm, absolutely and purely because so much of the end result is out with your control it's, it's, you don't have any impact on that so all you can focus on is well, what do i have control over i have control over how hard i press these pedals when i launch at the gate what line i follow on the track and the tactics you're going to employ these are the things you have control over these are the things you can actually physically do so just focus on those and do the job, wait till you cross the line, look up at the scoreboard and see see what the end result is. Wait until then. It's like, don't try and open your Christmas present before before it's Christmas Day. Just just get on with it. And, and you, know, it, it, you know, the biggest example of that for me was in 2004 in Athens to deal with the pressure of the, the kilo um, time trial and, you know, the, the riders breaking the world record before I got onto the track. It was, you know, literally I hadn't imagined what it would feel like to cross the line. So I crossed the finishing line and I didn't know what to do. And it sounds ridiculous, but I didn't, I, I thought, is this real? Have I actually won? And I, I sort of looked at the scoreboard and I saw my name with number one and OR for Olympic record next to it. And I thought, this is really surreal. This doesn't feel like it's actually happening. I thought, I better put my arm up just in case, <laughs> in case I have one, because it'll look a bit strange if, I haven't, if I'm not celebrating. So I did this really kind of weird sort of extended arm as I rode around. And it took about a lap before I spotted my parents and my my sister um, dangling over the barrier with the flag and the banner going absolutely wild. And I suddenly, it, the penny dropped. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. This is real. I can celebrate. And it was, <laughs> it was, it's, that was a great example that I, I wasn't, I never thought about what would happen when I crossed the line. I didn't imagine what it would feel like. I didn't imagine what I would do. The visualization of what I was going to do stopped when I crossed the finishing line. 
and, and somewhere in your subconscious, that 10-year-old boy had written on that note was going absolutely wild. And, and in, <laughs> in, in terms of the process, I mean, it's really just about being present in the moment, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. And, you know, we, we, you plan for the future, you have targets, you have things you want to do tomorrow and the next day and the next year, but you've got to enjoy now. You've got to make the most of the moment you're in. And often we're always thinking, well, you know, tomorrow's going to be better or we have this next week or I'm working towards that. But you never know what's going to happen. Look at look at the world at the moment. Look at the way things have been affected with the pandemic. You know, literally, the Olympics didn't take place this year, and, and and you know, you think, well, I mean, that's the that's fairly um, you know trivial compared to what else is happening in the world. But something as big as the Olympics didn't take place. As an athlete, you're training for it, you're preparing for it, you're thinking about it, and then it's it's been postponed. So you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. No one knows. Focus on what's happening now. Make the most of every opportunity, every experience. Um, and without getting too morbid about it, you know, anything could happen at any time. And even, you know, uh, Christina Vogel, um, double Olympic champion, I think 10 or 11 times world champion from Germany, one of the biggest names in track cycling, superstar, amazing, amazing person. And um, two years ago, I think it was, she was a routine training session at Cottbus in Germany. And she came round, she was on the track doing an effort. She came in the corner onto the straight, had her head down as you normally do. And somebody was on the track on the start gate and she went into the back of them um, and she's paralyzed. And you, you just realize, you know, her life has changed in the blink of an eye. And she was at one moment focusing on the future, focusing on everything that she was doing towards Rio um, or sorry, towards Tokyo. And then, you know, there she is in, a, in a, her whole life, the, the, the route, the plan, everything has changed. Um, but again, an amazing inspirational person now who is saying, well, these are the parameters I'm living within now. This, this, my life has changed. Um, what can I do? There's still, you know, an unlimited number of things in my life that I want to achieve and experience and do that I can still do within, you know, from within a wheelchair. Um, you know, I'm not dead. My life isn't over. Um, and, and her positivity, and it's not just a, a front, she is incredibly positive. And, and it, it just reminds you of how easy it is to moan about this, the most trivial of things and how, you know, you can either choose to moan about things, you can either choose to be, um, find the negatives in any situation or, like Christina, you can choose to find the positives, choose to find, well, what, what can I do? What am I able mm. to do? Right, yeah. brilliant. I haven't yeah. done that in my life yet. I want to achieve that. I want to do that. I'm going to experience that. Um, and I can do it. So let's go for it. Yeah. Like you say, we don't know what's around the corner. And if, if someone like that is able to reappraise and, and try and take the positives from such a difficult situation as that, there's really no excuse really for anyone to have a, a victim mindset in, in less impactful situations. And last thing or two, Chris, in terms of you know confidence, because we've spoken about confidence then, and, and we've spoken about you know self-doubt is normal and doubts keep you on your toes. You've you spoke about how you learned to embrace public speaking, but but what does confidence th- then mean to you? Because a lot of people talk about this a feeling, a feeling, or whatever it may be. But I look back in terms of what its original definition was, and it's trusting yourself to do the things that you need to do, or a variation on that. But so with everything you've learned, the work you've done with Steve and, and the journey you've been on, what does confidence actually mean to you? I think it's having perspective is very important, being able to understand what it is you're doing and, and how, most of the time, how irrelevant and how small it is. You know, Steve used to remind me, you're, you're riding on a bike in anti-clockwise circles on a wooden track. You know, this isn't life and death. This, this is not... This is not going to change the world. It's this is an opportunity to enjoy, an opportunity to experience. 
but you're not saving lives here. You know, it's and, and when you kind of realise, actually, yeah, yeah, it is just riding a bike, you know, and, and then you can go in. And that doesn't mean you don't care about it. It doesn't mean to say that you don't have the same passion for it, but it's understanding perspective. You know, you used to talk about the helicopter technique of imagining going up in a helicopter, looking down on the situation that's causing you stress and realising how small you are, how small you are in comparison to your town, your your country, the whole world, and realising, you know, do you know what? This is one tiny little thing and you will get over it. Time will pass. Things will get easier. Um, so when you understand that, that actually the consequences of getting it right or wrong are not actually that big, then you can start to think, well, well, why am I doing it? Well, because I enjoy it, because I love it. Right, we'll focus on that, make the most of the opportunity, go out there. Confidence also comes from preparation, I believe, from knowing that you've done the work, that you've done the best you can be, knowing that there might be someone better than you in the day. So, you know, that that, that is life. Life's not always fair. Things don't always go your own way. But if you go in there well prepared, with perspective, to do the best that you can do and do it justice and enjoy the process, enjoy what you're doing, then that that is all you can do. And if you do that, funnily enough, that often gives you the best result you could get as well. So it's a, it's a win-win situation. You enjoy it more and you tend to do better at it. One of the beautiful paradoxes of life, isn't it? And uh, <laughs> just the final thing I'll say is is that you know, you give this lovely example of an exercise that Steve Peter shared with you about fast forwarding to the end of your life. And, you know, you're there giving advice to you, to your grandkids and what would you want to share with them? And it wouldn't be about the Olympic gold medals necessarily, although I'm sure they'd get a mention, but it would be about those things, about being your best self, about trying to reach your potential and everything that we've discussed. So, and I thought that was a really lovely thing for anyone to do. And, and it can really get you to establish what you, what your values are and what's important to you. Anyway, listen, Chris, it's been an absolute joy talking to you. I thought the book was fantastic. Obviously great that it's going to be such a valuable tool for for young people, but I think any age people could really get something out of it. You know, I, I certainly did. It's got such a well-mapped route and some powerful tools and ways of looking at things and thinking about things, just universal truism. So congratulations on that. Thank you so much indeed for talking to me. It's been, it's been a real joy. And uh, yeah, just uh, look forward to seeing what you're up to next because I know you're always up to some mad stuff, whether it be rally driving or whatever, who knows what. But it's, uh, it's always a pleasure charting your progress. You're a, you're a top bloke. Thank you very much, Simon. I really enjoyed that. Cheers. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of Don't Tell Me The Score. I really hope you enjoyed our conversation. And I would, of course, be delighted to hear your thoughts, ideas and questions. Do get in touch via my website, simonmundy.com. I do really appreciate you listening. And if you could leave a kind rating and review, I would be sincerely grateful. All that remains is for me to say I hope you'll join me again next time. Until then, thank you and goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.